Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Let me just put another light on. Oh. Now I'm going to have to use this big ass headset. The city of New York, Boricua from the Bronx. We had a hurricane blow through here. I didn't get really affected that badly, but, you know, for 24 hours, feels like the top of the house is going to blow up. And I've got a large dog. Huh. And I had to take him out. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> we're getting fucking blown all over the place. There's hunks <laughs> of trees flying by. I'm like, why did I get a fucking dog? But at the end of the day, I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the breed? Oh, Irish I see? Those are big, right? Fuck yeah. It's like, it's like, think of a greyhound. Uh, not a greyhound. Think of a um, Great Dane with hair. I have a, a five pound Pomeranian. Tiny oh, you're little. Lucky. <laughs> yeah, thing of crap in five minutes and I got little, little pellets, you know, like hamster. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I got to take three fucking bags with him in the morning. Whoa. Yeah. Holy crap. Those are human shits coming out of that. Bigger. Door. Oh, bigger. <laughs> Bigger. So you're in Florida. Now, um, I saw some – well, you know what? Let's introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are because I, I just started talking, like just engaging and shit, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Let, okay. let, let's introduce who this man is. <laughs> you know? Thank you. I pre Angel, thank you for having me on your show. My name is Vic Ferrari. I'm a Bronx kid, born and raised in New York City, lived in New York for most of my life. Um, uh, when I was a little boy, I always wanted to become a member of the New York City Police Department. By five, my mother used to take me by the police station, and I'd look in the police car windows and see the equipment, and I'd look at the cops with their nightsticks and guns, and I said, you know what, maybe one day I'm going to be able to do that. Um, by 10, I used to go into the local post office with my friends, and we would steal wanted posters, the FBI wanted posters of, like, bank robbers and shit, and, you know, we're walking around the neighborhood with a piece of paper with a, you know, a wanted poster for some guy wanted for a bank robbery in Arkansas. And we're in the local deli, like that could be him. <laughs> so I always knew what I wanted to do by 21. I, I took the police exam. I passed and uh, I had a 20 year career with the New York City Police Department. And I worked in various units, including narcotics, DUI. My last 10 years, I was a detective in the auto crime division. So anything with chop shops, exporting of stolen cars out of the country, garden variety, car thieves, um, identity theft, um, you know, uh, body shops, did all that stuff. And after I retired, I got into writing and I've written uh, four books about the New York City Police Department and my experiences. Right, right. Now, but you have many more books, right? Because I checked out your Amazon and there was a whole bunch of... Uh... I do. I, I have six books, um, but four of which are uh, about New York City and Right, right. It's a humorous, they're, they're humorous short stories about my time at the New York City Police Department. Um, what's the process like for you? Like when you're. Okay, so, so my books, there's no beginning, middle, end. If I had to sit there and write a book in chronological order, I'm not that talented. So oh. for me, what I do is the process is I'll think of a topic and I'll put something like funny things that happen during arrests or. Right. behind what goes on inside a police station or the practical jokes that cops pull on each other. And that's a chapter. And then what I'll do is I'll start outlining short stories until I have enough. And then I grow them. And then if I come across writer's block, which happens all the time, I move on to another chapter or just start writing about something else. And then I'll see something or someone will remind me of something. And I go back. Once I hit about 60,000 words, which is usually about 225 pages, then I start um, editing it myself. You know, you want to give you if you, for new authors out there, you want to um, you need an author, you need a a, a uh, an editor. You, you have to. You need a professional edit, but you don't want to give them a bag of crap because it's not going to come out right. You've got to edit it the best you can. Then you get you send it away for a copy edit. They'll send it back with changes. And you read, you're reading your story again, and there, and th they made changes to it, and you accept those changes or you deny them. Once that's done, you send it back to another editor. That's a copy edit. That's kind of they just go through it with a fine tooth comb for grammar. Mm. Once that's done, then you send it off to be uh, formatted. So you've got your book written, great. But now, I mean, 99% of authors, we go through Amazon because Amazon's the biggest cat in the jungle as far as, you know, for right. books. 
they're basically putting brick and mortar stores. That's a thing of the past, really, except for like Barnes and Noble. You got to get your books on Amazon. So I there's a company I use called ebook launch. They're kind of like an a la carte service. So once my book is written and edited, I send it to them and I pay for two files. One file is for ebook, one file is for paperback. And that, that costs about 300 bucks. And they send back two files and then you upload each into the Amazon platform. And now when someone clicks on your book and they want to order it somewhere in Louisville, I think it's in Louisville, Kentucky, Amazon prints your book and mails it out to them. So I don't touch books. Right. I write them, I send them to Amazon and then Amazon prints on demand. Same goes for a book cover, the same company. Um, I just, it cost me about 500 bucks for a book cover. They ask, you know, uh, for argument's sake, my book, NYPD Law and Disorder. There's a picture of a cop scratching his head with a crashed police car and a bad guy running out in handcuffs. Now that really happened. So what I did was I told him, I says, I want the New York City skyline. I want a crash police car. I want a cop scratching his head like, what the fuck just happened? I want the back door of the radio car open and I want a perp in handcuffs running down the street. We could do that. And I mean, within a week, they designed the book cover for me. Oh, very cool. But it sounds, it sounds like a daunting process. The whole thing from the minute I say, you know what, I'm going to write a book okay. until I hit enter. That I, it's all done, covers done, edited. It, it takes me about a year. Okay. All right. Well, that seems faster than I thought. I, I mean, in my head, you know. Uh... You just got to keep at it. Even on days where you're not in the mood to write and, and you've been busy the whole day before you go to sleep, give it 20 minutes. And just, or at least look at one of your stories and comb through and go, I could have done that better. I spotted a spelling mistake. It's one of those things. If you just keep on it, it's like a marathon, really. Mm. Just keep on it. There's days where you got four hours and I'm going to write for four hours. Great. Also for new writers out there and, and, you know, keep a couple of notepads. Keep one by your nightstand. Keep one where you spend most of your time in the house during the day. If you drive, keep a notepad. You call, you're going to see something that's going to remind you of something. Of Someone's going to say something that's funny and you're like, I, I can work with this. If you don't jot it down then and there. You'll lose it. That has happened. Absolutely. To me. Like, so yeah. what I struggle with is when I write on the, the, about the author, the back of my book cover, that's, I struggle with that all the time. I just do. And I was getting a massage and this woman was giving me a massage. This is like two years ago. She's giving me a massage and she goes, my God, you have the hamstrings of a 20 year old. I went, I can use that. That's gold. <laughs> so I put that as about the, about the author. Vic Ferrari yeah, is that. probably yeah. one of the funniest authors you never heard about and has the hamstrings of a 20 year old. So is that one liner I heard that I said, I can use so that's that. That's where that came from. I thought you were like uh, really good at stretching or something that prompted that. No, no, <laughs> no just, just the massage therapist said it. And I was like, that's fucking gold. So you, you did 20 years. So you in essence don't have to work at this point. Right. I mean, you're, you're you, you could, but you, could survive. Live right? Listen, I got a civil service pension. I have bills like everybody else. I write for two reasons. One, it keeps my mind sharp. Yes, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? It does. I mean, I'm 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 in my mid fifties now. I want to keep what I have left. Um, also, it unless you you know become Stephen King or James Patterson, one of these authors where you know, publishing houses are giving you large advances to write a book. You're not going to be, you're not going to make it rich as a self-published author. But if, if you're dead, if you put in the time with it and you start cranking out books and you promote them, right? Like what we're doing right here, people like yourself that are nice enough to put me on their forums, you can make a steady stream of income. You can make a couple of hundred bucks a month, if not more, but you got, it's, it's like anything else. If you, anything else in life, if you do it half-assed, Right. It's not going to pay off. You got to be all in. Right. What's it like being a cop in the sense of just walking the street? Like, I would be scared to be a cop. I think I'm too paranoid. I think I, I have too much trauma from growing up in the street. And, and that I might be one of those people that could potentially get a chip on my shoulder with that type of power, you know, I, I get what you're Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. So I grew up in the Bronx, right? I, um, I, what I, I, I noticed this with a lot of the guys that got hired that came from Long Island, 
or upstate New York. A lot of them were really good cops, but there was a certain percentage of them. They didn't get it as far as the Bronx worked or Brooklyn worked because they came from a totally different culture. And then they're asked right. Police this. to do something else. And it's like, it would be like dropping me off in, in Spain or Portugal and asking me to be a police officer there. I don't know the customs. I don't know that people eat dinner at 10 o'clock at night. You, you know what I mean? There's just different, there's so many different nuances, but I was lucky enough and I'm proud of it. I was born and raised in the Bronx. You're right. The second you put on a police uniform, and especially as a rookie cop, picture picture being a rookie cop in New York City is like being a rookie quarterback in an NFL team and they march you out on week one. And, and you can't read the defenses. Things are coming at you very quickly and you just don't understand, like, what the fuck is happening? First off, you don't know really how to do the paperwork. You know what I mean? And, and what they teach you in the police academy a, a lot of times is the correct answer, but that's not the way the street works. You, you know what I mean? So it, it's coming at you fast and furious and it's overwhelming, especially when they drop you off in a foot post in a busy neighborhood. People are coming up to you asking you questions. I'm not even talking about people looking to fuck with you. I'm just talking uh, about people that need help. Where's and the you're McDonald's? Like, yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not from here. <laughs> right. You're standing there with your thumb up your ass like, uh, you know what? Let me call the sergeant. And after a while, the sergeant gets pissed off that she's like, do I have to hold your fucking hand on every call? So but after a while, it slows down. And it doesn't bother you to wear a uniform. Now, 15 out of my 20 years, I was in plain clothes, be it mm. I was in narcotics or auto crime. But the NYPD always throws you in uniform for uh, New Year's Eve, the St. Patrick's Day parade, uh, the Thanksgiving Day parade, when there's a riot, large crowd, when, when large companies go on strike. So you were never that far removed from wearing the uniform. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to go through a whole year without having to wear a uniform. You still get it's still going to get you. Did you not feel noticed when you were in civilian clothing? Like we knew, you know, like, do you knew people knew? So like I, I see, I'm like that's five oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you oh think, yeah, you know, like well, it's the cars. So there's a lot of things with that. A, it's the cars, right? B, you got a lot of young guys. The first thing they do, well, in my time, not anymore, but in my time, the first thing they would do was go out and buy that army jacket the army field jacket, <laughs> right? Well, you know, they got the chain around their neck as opposed to using something else to hold their shield around their neck. Um, you know, here's another thing. So at 11 o'clock at night, the average person, if they're they, at 11 o'clock at night and they pull up to a traffic light and a car full of gangbangers pulls up alongside them and they're blasting the music and fucking around in the car, the average person is going to glance and go, oh shit. And they're going to look straight ahead and they're going to say, please light. I want this light to change, please. I hope they don't fuck with me, blah, blah, blah. Even if they're not bothering them, it's right. in their head now. I, I don't want to get fucked with. Cops Fire. carry guns and aren't afraid of that. So what do cops do? They look over and make eye contact. So we, we used to call that the hairy eyeball. The hairy eyeball is you spot somebody, they spot you, you make eye contact, you don't look away. They say to themselves, well, they're probably cops. You know what I mean? So that's what you mean. Yeah, they're probably 5-0. So, yeah, they used to go on all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's funny because I, I I remember seeing cops trying to, like, not appear like they're cops. But you knew. <laughs> you what know what I mean? What, neighbor, what precinct did you grow up in? I was in 167th Street. Um, there was a, where? Um, 167 between Walton and Grand Concourse. Oh, you're in the 4-4. So you were in the belly of the beast. So... In there the was lady. a precinct right down the block that came relatively later after I'd been there. So I'd lived there for a few years, and then there was a precinct right there, right in Jerome. Yeah, so your precinct originally was right on the Major Deegan Expressway. The precinct was right off the highway on Cedric Avenue. And then probably about 94, 95, they built the new 4-4, like you said, right off of Jerome Avenue. Yeah. Or is it Gerard? I get it confused. No, it was... Well, I mean, the the big road where the four train runs was yes. the uh, Jerome. That's okay. Jerome, and and it might have intersected with Gerard, or you know, because it was relatively close to that area as well. You know, I got I actually got I got slammed a couple times in that area by cops because they thought that I was fucking with their cars. You know, 
So like I was well, that just does happen a lot. <laughs> not not to say you did it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I was just walking through and I remember one time this he said, Come here, come here, boy. And I was just like, hey, hey man, I'm I'm cool. He's like, What what are you doing here? I was like, I'm just I'm I'm walking down to one six seven, you know. And my man's like, No, you got tools? I'm like, and, and granted, I had mad I had really baggy pants on. It's the nineties, man. It's what we wore. I, know, I, know. I had a vest on with a bunch of pockets. Again, it's it was the style in the nineties. So he, he's like, yeah, come here. You, 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 and he threw me against the wall or rather a vehicle. And he's like, uh, let me, let me, let me, you want me to check you out here? You want me to check you inside? You want to go inside? I'm like, Hey man, I'm cool. I'm cooperating. What do you want? And he's checking. And then he's like, hey, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, you know, and that happened a few times just walking by. Um, they probably had a bunch of cars broken into. So anybody walking by, they, they, they were, they, they got raised up. Your precinct had, your precinct was densely populated and you guys, your precinct had a shitload of chop shops and, um, uh, body shops that were doing tag jobs. So stolen cars would go in and they would change the vehicle identification numbers. Uh, what was that street? When I was in order stupid enough to go to a fucking precinct and try to fuck with their cars. Like that was my initial, that was like my initial thought was like, like, do I, is someone stupid enough to do that? You know what I mean? Like I worked. So when I was a rookie cop, I worked in the four, two, which is off of, um, third Avenue and like one 58, 59th street. And this is like 86, 87. This is like in the height of crack. And I remember like as a rookie cop, sometimes they would give you that you were a rookie and they'd say, you got station house security. And I'd say, well, what does that mean? And they go, just walk around the precinct and make sure nobody fucks with the cars. I kid you not. I would go on the second floor of the precinct and I would open the window in uniform and I would just sit like this within an hour. I would catch somebody either breaking into one of our cars or one of the voucher cars, like the evidence cars that uh-huh. we would walk along because the, the parking lot would fill up. So yeah. we would park, we would park like the stolen cars or the abandoned cars or evidence cars along Third Avenue, and I would just hang out on the window and you'd watch somebody go right up and pop the fucking window or stick a screwdriver in the door and work the lock. I'd come running out, and by the time I got down there, they, their ass would be hanging outside the fucking car. So <laughs> oh it, it did. It ha- I made wow. as a rookie cop, I must have made ten fifteen arrests right in front of the station house with that shit. Wow, that was nuts. You just reminded me of something what we were talking about earlier to jot ideas down. Um, crack. Yesterday, we were walking, coming back from Comic-Con, crack snorting, and we saw somebody. It might have been cocaine. I don't think crack is a thing anymore. I don't know if it's still out there, but cocaine snorting on chair. We saw a, a guy and a woman, and they were chilling. This was this was yesterday. Um after comic-con so i want to write this down because i don't yeah. want to forget it this is a blog oh, idea i don't want to lose this uh, I, I we were walking and my boy goes he goes like yo check it out and i look over and they're on the chair like <laughs> and then they had syringes next to them and we're like oh, new man. york's been I, I don't know how long you've been away for but it's been getting crazy over here you know it's yeah, starting to I feel like it. the 80s you know like I see it on tv and it, it kills me because you know, New York deserves better. It just does. There's so many fucking hardworking people in the five boroughs. And it's just, they're letting it go to shit. It affects everybody. You know what I mean? It's like, now, you know, you can't just walk out of your house. Now you got to walk out of your house and look over both shoulders and make yeah. sure someone's not going to crack you. Some, something yeah. just got let out of a mental hospital isn't going to hit you in the head. My with wife a got attacked in front of our building. She was assaulted. Uh, thankfully, she wasn't badly injured, but she was bruised up and, and shaken, you know, and now she started training jujitsu with me. <laughs> you, know, you know, she started training jujitsu. It's been getting. My son was assaulted on the train too. He got he got just popped, kind of blindsided, and you know he's he's grown up different than I grew up, right? So he doesn't know right. wh- what the what the protocol is, like how to handle. You know, like he didn't know what to do. So, you know, it's it's like it's crazy. And I voted for Eric Adams. I don't want to make it political, but I voted for Eric Adams because he was a cop. And it was my belief that he can strike a balance, you know, because I'm I'm a registered Democrat. Right. And believe me, I know the problems with the party. I know the you know, and I thought to myself, OK, you know what? Maybe maybe Eric Adams as a, a black male from the hood, in New York right. City, who happens to also have been a cop. Maybe he could strike a balance where, you know, he I might think he's the guy. I, I don't. I think the police commissioner he picked. I think she's good. 
I, I, I like her from what I, everything I've read about her and I've seen her in press conferences and I think she's good, but I, I think it's, I, I don't think Adams is going to be the guy to turn things around. Well, it's yeah. apparently that's what, that's what it I seems like. I got to watch him. You, know, you got to realize something. He was hired around the same time I was either a year before or a year oh, after. Okay. Okay. And he, he basically, he, he had a 20 year career of knocking the police department in the newspaper. If you go and Google him, I mean, everything with him was racism in the department. And he just, he made a career as like a rebel rouser in the NYPD. And it's like, I think after a while, when you do that, he got to where he is. I'll give him credit. I mean, listen, it, it's, it's an admirable accomplishment to run for mayor of city of New York and win. It just is whoever you are. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, the way the city works, it's, it's not They're not going to make it easy for you, whoever you are. Right, right. So, I mean, that that's impressive. I just don't think he's the man for the job. I just, I don't. I think he's so wrapped up into his agenda and everything else. I don't think that he's got, at the end of the day, I don't think he's got the um, the fortitude to, 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 to set New York back the way it should be. Yeah, I, I've been fairly disappointed. Um, I, I really had, you know, I had some hopes there. Um, oh, me too. You know, I really was, you know, like, all right, you know what, this is, this is a, a you know dude who comes from where I come from, so maybe he'll relate to people from the ghetto who who are poor and you know. So I was like, that's a good thing. But he was also a cop, so he'll be able to relate to the officers, and maybe we could strike a balance and get things right. And I just, I just don't see it. Yeah, you know, you I, know I don't you know see what's it. Another problem with that, and this is both parties again. Like like you said, I don't want to make this political meaning. This is both parties. Once these people get into office. It's more about now pleasing their donors yeah. than their voters. If yeah. that makes any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so completely... He's going to these $5,000 plate dinners. Do you think anybody on your block that's got a complaint yeah. goes to that dinner? Right. No. So, and that's both parties. I mean, Republican, right. independent. it's the same shit. It's, it, it, it becomes rubbing elbow and he's in New York. So, you know, he's going to these things, rubbing elbows with celebrities and, you know, yeah. the, the, the film industry in New York, all these companies make movies there. So he's going to these events and rubbing elbows and doing favors, you know? So yeah. it, it becomes, it becomes the donors, not the voters. Yeah. Which is, it's unfortunate. And this is, this is the pro I believe in, in, in politics altogether is the issue, right? I, I I have to register as a Democrat because I want my vote in New York City to count, right? right. When I was independent, I couldn't vote in the primaries. So right. yeah, I basically, no, I, yeah. You know, so I, I, I had to, I, if I wanted from the list of Democrats, if I want to be able to pick one of those in the primaries, I have to be registered as a Democrat. And from the list, I felt like a lot of them were extreme, really, really extreme left to the point where, like they're completely trying to get rid of the NYPD and and I'm like, come on, guys, I don't trust us people enough to not have a police department. I'm sorry, I don't well, trust. Yeah, New us. York doesn't allow New York doesn't allow anybody really to have a pistol permit, right? Okay. Yeah. So and say for argument's sake, you're just John Q. citizen and you've never been in trouble before in your life, but you've been robbed 15 times, mm -hmm. so you start carrying a gun. And you get caught. You're going to get put on probation. First offense, if you have no 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 record, you're getting probation. You get caught again. You're going upstate for a year and a half to three. And if there's no police, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it it's a scary sense. prospect. I, I I would be terrified to have to defend myself here. You know, because of the way the law. You got something to lose. Yeah, I would be extremely terrified to ever in any way, shape or form with a weapon, with my hands, to have to defend myself and injure someone or or even. No, no, I, because you have something to lose and you were raised right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Just... At the end of the day, you, you live in a nice place. You got some money saved. You have you have children. Do, do you really want to like pop someone's eye out with a jujitsu move that's trying to take your wallet and then they're fucking looking to give you time? Man, that's a scare. When when I talked to the officers, um, when my wife was attacked, they said it's a good thing you didn't find him, because if you found him, because she came, she didn't have her phone, so she ran upstairs to tell me, and then I ran downstairs, 
And she said, if you would have, the, the officer told me, if you would have found him and you assault him, we have to arrest you as well. You know, because no, there was no longer a threat. Your your wife was already away from the threat and you went looking for him. What right. you got to do is call us. And I was like, yeah, that's what we did. We called you guys and this guy was never caught, never found him, nothing. So you're also telling me that I can't do nothing about it. You know, so it's 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 New York is is, is you hang around. I mean, if you hang around after the it depends on a how bad you hurt him and b do you hang around. You know what I mean? But <laughs> but nowadays with cameras and shit, you you know mm. what I mean? They'll figure out who you are. It's like, oh yeah, I live okay. here. He lives in you know? apartment <laughs> yeah. You know now you're yeah. fucked. You know, I'll t I'll tell you a quick story from one of my books. This is early '90s crack, and um, this girl she worked at a club. She was beautiful. Um, she goes downstairs, her boyfriend's waiting for her in the car downstairs. She comes out of her building on Broadway and doesn't see her boyfriend's car. Guy walks up to her, high on angel dust, right? Mm. Takes her bag and punches her in the face. She goes down and she goes to get up. He hits her again, like fucked her up, gave her two black eyes, right? Very pretty girl. Oh. She runs around the corner to her boyfriend who's, who's double parked in the car waiting for her. He takes the club. Remember the club? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He oh, confronts yeah. the guy, and apparently the guy picked up his hands, and he you used the club. Sometimes you got a club, yeah, motherfucker. He arrested the guy for fucking robbery because he had her bag. He's still walking around with her bag in his hand. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, shit like that used to go on all the time. We didn't lock up the boyfriend. I mean, he was defending her, and the guy picked up his hands. So what's he supposed to do? Him supposed to? The other guy was bigger than him. Was he supposed to take a punch in the face, too? Right, right. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe the time is different now, right? Also, um, there's a lot of things that it are is. a little different. You know, there's optics, and you know, um, I, I have to believe that this guy was mentally ill. So, you know, then the questions come into play into like, well, you knew the guy was mentally ill, or he, you had to have known it, or you know, like the, the optics of it become a problem. You know, so it's like, so what are we supposed to do? Is regular citizens who just want to look i just want to go to work go to the gym my family to survive and be left alone you know so right. it's a scary right. place it's a scary time to you know um i i saw those dudes doing uh you know snorting and i, I grew up in the hood man my pops was a heroin addict you know what i mean like i i just kept walking i didn't even you know, to me, it doesn't phase me. I'm like, oh, shit, enjoy yourselves. As long as they're not fucking, <laughs> long as they're not fucking with me or yeah, breaking you know, into my car. Right? Yeah, you're not, you're, not, you're not here trying to take our lives to get high. Then, you know, it's, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what we need to do here, you know. I mean, Sliwa would have never won because he's too extreme, you know. Um, he talks he, a lot. I don't know yeah. how extreme he is. He's got – he's, he's entertaining. Agreed. He's entertaining, but how much of what he says is bullshit or not? I mean, mm. I, I find him like I I couldn't stand him because you got to. I'm older than you. Right? How old are you? Uh, forty five. Yeah, I'm eleven years older than you. So when I even before I was hired as a member of the New York City Police Department, he pulled a hoax. He said that he was kidnapped by NYPD members that didn't want him to have the Guardian Angels. I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? I don't. I never had a problem with the Guardian Angels. Listen, if you get a bunch of guys that want to ride the train and fucking stop people from committing crimes. I don't, your average cop doesn't care really. Mm. We don't. But um, he said that he was kidnapped by these cops and, and, and they took him out to Orchard beach and threatened him and everything. And then it came out, he didn't do it. You know, he, mm. I mean, it never happened. So he's going to have to, but you know, I mean, I've kind of warmed That's up. Tough. To yeah. I mean, I, I think he's harmless. I, 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 you know, he's entertaining. Like I said, I get a kick mm. out of him. I never hated the guy, but um, you're right. He, he's kind of become a caricature of himself. Mm. So who, you know, he kind of people like, do we take this? He would guy never. He would never have made it, and and just and and that's not to say that he might have. He might have done a good job. I think he he might he could have potentially potentially done a good job. I don't know. Right. Maybe that's what you need. The problem is that the way the politics work in New York, the way he talks and it would just never happen. He would have to dial oh, it down. No, you know? no, maybe 20 years ago. See, that's how Giuliani got in. 
Like you said, mm-hmm. most New Yorkers, including my parents, were registered Democrats. But New York got so out of control in the from the 80s into the 90s. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And right. that's how Giuliani got in. Think about that. I mean, Giuliani, I mean, was as right wing as, 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 you know, I mean, mm-hmm. former federal prosecutor, Southern District, put the mob away. And, and New York has said enough. Like you said, like you said, I don't know what's enough to turn the tide. When enough working people have had it and said, you know what, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And it keeps biting us in the ass. Let's try plan B. Let's just see what happens once. Let's give this four years and see if this guy can change things. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know when it happens. I don't know if it can happen. I, I don't know, you know. I think everything feels different. You know, I was a kid in the '80s, right? So even the '90s when Giuliani came along, I, I remember it, but I was a kid, so I wasn't involved with politics. I didn't know anything about, you know. There were just right, words right, to right, me. Right. You're just you know, living your life growing up. But I do remember. I do remember things changing. All of a sudden, the the gang members were hiding their beads. You know, the the colors weren't as obvious. The things right. were changed. I saw that. Right. I don't know what happened. I don't know if a 45-year-old me would agree with the policies that were implemented then. You know what I mean? To right. achieve I that. Sure. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know enough about it. But as a kid in the street, I felt it. I felt the difference. And... I, I, I honestly, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know where we go from here. Um, I thought Adams might be our guy and, you know, apparently I was wrong because things are. He's things, had a year already. And has it changed in a year? I, no, I actually feels like things are getting worse. You know, like, you know, it feels like things are getting. Guys, let me ask you a question because you're in New York, you're, you're in New Yorker still, and you're there, you watch the news, you got your foot, your ear to the ground. Do you think that guy Zeldin's got any chance of defeating the, the, um, Cuomo's replacement, Hockle, whatever her name is. I honestly, I I've come across the name, but at that level, I don't even pay it much mind. So I I I can't answer that with a okay, honest intelligence. Yeah. I I I let me let me look at his name and, and see if it jocks something in my head. Um, when he's running for governor, like because Cuomo got asked to step down for the sexual harassment. Yeah, well, so, she took over for him. I I kind of thought that. By default, she's just going to keep winning. So I didn't even bother, you know, like no, I didn't even know they're running in, in November next month. Yeah, I, I didn't even think that anybody would be a threat. That's what I mean, that, yeah, that anybody a threat. <laughs> I just that's what I'm curious, like, what do you yeah, thought about? I I remember I, I lead a candidate for governor of New York, it's a, it's a, it's a, Army Reserve, a Republican. <sighs> well, you know what? It could. I I I. Yeah, I, I I looked them up. I remember I kind of glanced around and tried to get a feel for the guy, um, but I saw a Republican and she's incumbent, and I immediately just said, "Right, right. it ain't gonna happen." Well, upstate, you know, you know? You know how that works. Upstate's yeah, gonna yeah. vote for him, of right? course. Most yeah. Upstate New York, and then it boils down to the nine or ten million people in the five boroughs. That's right, basically, right. and there's more people in the five boroughs than there is. Yeah, New York. if, if they get out to New York is. Yeah, yeah. If they get out to vote, then yeah, I I kind of just wrote them off, but. Um, uh, who knows, you know, but I, I feel like at the end of the day, um, the mayor has a more of a, a grip and influence, you know, so like at that higher level, um, I, right. The mayor of the city of New York's got a lot of power over the whole state, believe it or not. You're right about that. Yeah. I don't feel their influence as much. So like even when Cuomo was out and she came aboard and I, I as a just the average person living here, I don't feel anything yeah. from it. You know, um, in, the cocoon in New York City. Right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I don't feel, you know, even if you get like like right now, uh, I think the Supreme Court said that we could carry conceal in New York. Right. That it was unconstitutional. Bah, bah, bah. Um, on the city level, like I don't think I can get a permit to carry. I I they I've been thinking about so it, and you've got to go through the New York City Police Department to do it, and and New York's got the Pistol License Division, and they don't make it easy for anybody, and that's coming. That's not coming from the New York City Police Department. That's coming from correct. once again the mayor's office. Correct, correct. Like I have a a, a home permit, so I have uh I have uh you know so you're good to go if someone breaks into your house, right? But I would never want to. 
be in that no, situation ever, that? ever, ever, who ever. Wants this city. In a shooting? You know, oh, cops you know, don't like. You know what I love when they talk about like you know cops are shooting people. Cops are more afraid of getting in trouble hmm. than than getting hurt or getting killed. That's a fact. I never really worried about getting killed in my NYPD. I was more afraid of getting in trouble because let me tell you how it works with a shooting. Let's say for argument's sake, me and you are radio car partners and we're doing a seven in the morning till three at night. So we're doing the morning shift Mm. and say at eight o'clock in the morning, a guy comes at us with a knife or a gun or bank robber. It's like, I'm talking best case scenario shooting, Mm. right? And we kill this fucking guy, right? Say he was shooting at us and million witnesses. And okay. First, you're going to get interviewed by the sergeant on the scene. Then you're going to get interviewed by a captain. Then they're going to drag you into the precinct. The detectives are going to interview you. Then mm. the borough, the, 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 um, the commanding officer, of the borough is going to talk to you. Then there's people from downtown that's going to talk to you. Internal affairs is going to come down and in- investigate it. Then, then the district attorney is going to show up with a stenographer and take your statement. So anything you say right there, there's a stenographer thing. If you and I got involved in a shooting at, at eight o'clock in the morning, we wouldn't go home till two, three, four o'clock in the morning. They investigate. It's not like TV where me and you are going to go to the bar and get a couple of beers or I'll see you tomorrow. No time. Time is suspended. And anybody that thinks that, you know, cops are getting involved in shooting and it's no big deal. First of all, you got to live with that for the rest of your life if you take someone's life. Second of all, after the shooting, within a week or two, me and you are going to have to go say we got involved in a shooting in Brooklyn. They're going to we're going to get dragged down to a Brooklyn grand jury and we're going to have to testify in front of a grand jury, which is 16 to 23 people that are serving jury duty. And they could turn around and indict you, even if the shooting is good. Say for like I said, best case scenario, right. Right? guy was no, shooting no us. No question that you are defending, right? And right. the grand jury says, "No, nah, you know what? I think their actions were excessive." Indictment. They it's, they, they they indict you. Now you're going to get arrested. They're going to take your gun and shield. And now you and I got to hire an attorney. And now we've got to either, you know, a mo- six months or a year, two years from now, we're going to go on trial. Now we got to figure out, are we going to roll the dice with a jury or should we pick a bench trial, which means no jury, just a judge, hoping a judge, we get the right judge who's seen a million cases and goes, yeah, this is bullshit, this indictment, it's a good shooting. So anybody thinks for a second and with cops get, I can speak for New York City Police Department. I don't know about how other departments and other jurisdictions roll, but I know New York, if you get involved in a shooting, it's no fucking joke. I mean, they, your question on so many levels, they lock you into a statement immediately. I mean, you know, there's no fucking around. It's not like, like when they say, oh, you know, they shot him and it's bullshit and they're covering it up. They will throw you to the fucking wolves in a second. Oh. And this is not something you're you're saying. This has been always that way. It's not something new. This is thirty five. When I got hired thirty five years ago, that's the way it was. And you know, it's gotten worse. Right, right. Meaning that it's even more scrutinized today. Absolutely. Wow. With yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody wants to. You know, this is why I I, I have. Um, I have had strong debates with people, you know, where they say all oh, cops are bad. And I'm like, you know, there are some cops out there that are racist and there are some cops that are bad. I I have encountered them. I, I had a cop, uh, you know, call a bunch of my friends the N-word and say, you know, we're going to let those. Uh, I people, believe it. You know, and, and they exist. But. Well, you got to realize something. New York City Police Department has 35 to 40,000 members. Yeah. I mean, that's Yankee Stadium on a Friday night, right? <laughs> a lot of people. Right, right? Yeah. So you're going to, unfortunately, you are going to get bad apples that get past the psychologicals or they they don't have, they didn't come in like that. But you know, New York will just grind you up and, and they just, they come mm-hmm. unglued. And like you said, we'll say stupid shit like that or maybe become racist as a result of, listen, I grew up in the Bronx. I took a bus across town. I, I my where about, where about in the Bronx? I'm curious. Like where where? Like, I grew up in Frog's Neck, and I went to high school in Parkchester. Okay. 
right? Yeah. So that like we call that house area. <laughs> you know, like, it was you know. the country. Yes, you're right. Not no, but they changed the zoning laws, and everybody with a big lot put a second house in their property. You know what I mean? Like, so there were vacant lots when I grew up in in my neighborhood. And then what happened was everybody started building houses on in big backyards. Like if somebody had a big backyard, they kind of ruined the neighborhood as far as got too crowded and fucked up parking and stuff. Uh, you were a kid in the uh, uh, 70s? Late 70s, into the 80s, early 80s, yeah. Uh, yeah, because I'm a little further up, you know. Eight, like 10 I... years behind me. Yeah, I, I was a teenager in the 90s. I was a, a kid in the 80s, you know, a teenager in the 90s. And it was rough, man. It was rough. So you, in, in your books, you, you share the stories of things you encountered while doing this work. I want to pick one of them up because I, is it like satire, humor type of thing? Oh, they're like... humorous. Okay, I'll tell you a story from NYPD Law and Disorder, and you can totally picture this. Mm. So I'm working in the 50th Precinct up in Riverdale. Towards the end of the tour, or you'll you'll see. I do all these podcast interviews, and I talk about gypsy cabs and shit. Nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking oh, about. You're right. gonna, you're you have to describe this. it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. You, you'll get this. My, right? my pops drove a gypsy cab for a right, while. Right. Too, so, you know? but okay. So, like, I tell these stories to a podcast guy in Louisiana. He doesn't know what the fuck I'm talking about. All right, mm. you'll get this. So I'm up. I'm up in the west part of the Bronx. Right. We got a slew of gypsy cabs getting robbed. Right. Oh. So a gypsy cab goes by us. And there's three kids in the back seat, and one of them's leaning over with his head next to the driver. So I go to my partner, make a fucking U-turn. I go, I think that cab's getting robbed, right? When we start following the cab, the kids in the back seat tell the cab driver, fucking go, we'll kill you. Just go. Gun it. <laughs> so we got, we're chasing this fucking gypsy cab, right? We pull him over. We run up to the back of the car. There's three Spanish kids in the back, and they're passing around a shopping bag. Just like a hot potato. There's a hot potato. Fucking bag rips open. There's four kilos of coke in the back seat. Ooh. Like, holy shit, right? Pull the kids out. They were young. They were like, I don't think anybody was over 22 years old. I mean, this is 30 years ago. Lock them up. Bring them into the station house. The cab driver was shitting bricks, right? I'm mm. parading around the station house with the kilos of coke. <laughs> like I won the fucking Stanley Cup, right? Yo, where'd you get this arrest? I'm taking photos. Everybody's telling me, you're going to narcotics. This is the greatest arrest in the world. Like, I'm pounding my chest, right? So... The coke goes down to the lab. The bad guys go down to Bronx Central booking. And that night, I got to go and speak to a district attorney to write up these arrests. So, you know, 161st Street, where the courthouse is, after five o'clock, there's nothing open. There's, there's nothing open. There's no restaurants, no nothing. But they had just opened up that food court across the street on 161. They opened up that, that little shopping center over there that used to be a vacant lot. So I'm like, perfect. I'm going to get something to eat across the street, and then I'm going to talk to a district attorney. It's about 9 o'clock at night. I go down in there. I get something to eat. I get spaghetti and meatballs. And I'm in the food court of this place across the street from the courthouse. And I'm eating, and I'm, like, just pumped up. And then my stomach goes. Like, oh, shit, I got to take a fucking dump. Now, the, court, the bathroom in the courthouse is a fucking dungeon. There's often no toilet paper. And everybody's taking a dump in there. It's disgusting. I'm like, oh, wait, the food court. This place just opened, like, last week. I use their bathroom, go into the food court. It's nice and clean, right? I go in there. I go into the stall. I take off my gun belt. I hang it on the hook oh, on the bathroom door. I drop my pants, get ready for liftoff. The front door of the bathroom kicks in and there's four or five teenagers come in and they're hitting the hand dryers. They're turning on the sink. They're beating the shit out of each other. They're fucking around. Bunch of teenage boys, right? Yeah, I'm a cop and I'm in uniform, but I got my fucking pants down to my ankle. <laughs> so I go, you know what? I better hurry up. Yeah, you're very vulnerable. Back. I better hurry up and get the fuck out of here, right? Something told Angel, something told me to look up. I look up. One of the kids went into the stall next to me, jumped up on the toilet seat, and now he's hanging over. You know the Bronx. He's hanging over that stall and he's trying to grab my gun belt. I go, oh my motherfucker. God. So with my, I jump up with my left hand. I try to pull up my pants. With the right hand, I get him around the neck, and I pull him. Well, when I pull him towards me, I pull him towards my gun belt. He grabs onto my gun belt. I'm like, oh, shit. Now I let go of my pants. Now my pants are down to my ankles, and it's a hockey fight. I'm punching him in the face. Let go of my gun belt. Let go of my gun belt, right? He drops the gun belt. His friends run into the next stall. They grab his legs. 
Dude, I'm on a tug of war with like a 120 pound teenager on, you know, like those backroom. Uh, oh yeah, I know what you're the talking about. Thing is bending and ripping out of the wall, right? Jesus Christ! He goes over the wall and the fucking wall collapses. I pull up my pants. I grab my gun belt. I hook it up. I go running out into the food court. They're fucking gone. They're gone. They ran out. They're gone. And I'm saying to myself, do I get on the radio? Do I call the 4-4? I'm like, wait a minute. What am I going to do? Call the police on myself? I will be the fucking laughing stock of the Bronx. Uh, how would you... The Bronx are going to go, yo, you see that guy over there? He was taking his shit over in the food court, and these kids almost got his gun. So I kept that story to myself until, until I wrote <laughs> I wrote the. My, I started getting oh, into shit. So my books have embarrassing things that happen to me. Funny stories, guys moving dead bodies to get out of work in overtime. There's all wild stories okay. in there from my NYPD career. Uh, that is crazy, man. That that's the most vulnerable situation you could. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Never oh did that again. yeah, holy crap, Jesus! What would have happened if they took your belt? Like at that point, like from a legal standpoint, you haven't lost possession of that firearm and you know it was a big fucking incident well first of all do i chase them i don't have a i didn't have a second gun all right right i don't even remember if i had my bulletproof vest on because i was down at court i you know you know what i do remember having my vest on because i was sweating my ass off um i would have chased them i would have rolled the dice with that one um they would have gotten they would have i mean had they gotten arrested they would have been in a lot of trouble but you know, I'm just glad no one got hurt. No right. harm, no foul. And they were you just know? fucking around. Like, these were just kids messing around. You don't think they were intent on hurting well, I, you? I think they would have shot me. I think that they would have had a nice prize for themselves. Right, right. Wow. That is wild, man. That, I, I mean, you got to be really reckless to, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess that's just when you're young, you're just stupid. Because, you know, I used to ride in the back of the bus, you know, like. Because that does take balls. And I, I often wonder about that, like, are they dead? Did, 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 you know, do they mm. turn their lives around or do they keep doing stupid shit? Until, you know how it works. You yeah. keep doing stupid shit. You keep raising that bar, raising that bar, and then you're done. Mm. You go and do something so crazy, home invasion. You pull a gun mm. on a guy. He's got a gun. Next thing or you know, you kill the guy. Right. So yeah. you're, you're looking the wrong stall. You know what I mean? From your neighborhood, bro. <laughs> you know, you're looking the wrong stall with the wrong guy in there who has his gun in his pants and... You know, you lose your head, you know. Yeah, no, I I, I was watching uh, this thing yesterday about uh, the toughest prisons, you know. Um, you know, Netflix with, I think it's Raphael Rowe. And, um, so the latest episode, the guy asks him, do I belong here for life? And the last, last episode where he was in Moldova. And uh, I was thinking about that because I've always struggled with that. Like, I've always felt like if you kill someone then your life should be over you know and uh, and this guy said you know uh he told Raphael he killed a niece and a grandmother women choked you know so Raphael needed to step out of the cell and he had to think he has I, I I I've been with this guy a week and nice guy very cool until he told me what he did and now I don't know how I feel whether he should ever be able to get out of here you know, um, that's something that I always have struggled with myself, like the death penalty. And so like you have these kids, they're fucking around. Maybe they're not bad kids. Right. Maybe they're just stupid. Like that one day, oh, they, I, I get it. you know, uh, I mean, that's not the same as killing a grandmother and a niece. But imagine if they would have gotten away with your your firearm and and, you know, they're doing a prank to them. They're just trying to be cute and funny. This could have some serious repercussions to lives, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I. I mean, we did stupid stuff when we were kids, and some of it. All did. Yeah, you know, too. you think back, and it's like, oh my god, how did I? Luck. <laughs> yeah. You know, I. I'm looking out for you, one or the other, and or both. Yeah, yeah, and today, you know, I'm my my son teases me. He says I got no swag. That I'm, you know, because I'm taking pictures like, you know, like this, like, hey, guys, you know, but he, he has no idea what what right. it was like back then. You know, yeah. but, you know, you become this like older geeky guy and stuff. But so if, I don't know that I could 
you know, that I could hack that today, you know, <laughs> you know. I hear you. Wow. Well, listen, now tell everybody where they can get your books. We, we know it's on Amazon and, you know, anything you want to share with them as far as social media and. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Vic Ferrari. I've written. Uh, can I just show my books? Of course. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So. My last NYPD book is NYPD Law and Disorder. That opens up with a chapter of called Embarrassing Moments. That was me taking a dump on the bowl. <laughs> and we got, you like this one, Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's auto crime division. It's everything you wanted to know about chop shops, stolen cars, a car thief's mindset, what happens to your car after it gets stolen. Um, we got the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos. There's a lot of embarrassing stories that happen to NYPD members, including a guy I knew who stole a horse and carriage for uh, a ride through Central Park, and the horse took off because <laughs> he didn't have to control the horse. Oh, my God. And got NYPD Through the Looking Glass, stories from inside America's largest police department. That's got a lot of funny stories, including a cop that went out one night, and he safeguarded his gun in his oven, came back four hours, nine beers later and preheated his oven to 425 to make him a oh, snack God. and the gun went off in the stove and started shooting rounds at him. Holy he had to close out of his fucking apartment <laughs> with his gun shooting at him and call for emergency service. Oh my God. That is crazy, man. All my books are on Amazon. Well, they're all paperback. Um, just type, go to Amazon books, type in Vic Ferrari, like the car and uh, they're 10 bucks and two ninety nine e ebook download. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at, Vic Ferrari five zero. Awesome. Awesome. Dude, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Appreciate the opportunity to have me on your show. Yeah, for sure, man. I um uh, it was a good time. Oh. Yeah, anytime you want to have me back or you read one of my books, you're like, listen, I gotta ask you about this. Uh, I'll come back. Awesome, awesome. Well, I appreciate you and uh, we'll be in touch, man. I'm I'm definitely gonna pick up the books. I love satire. One of my favorite authors is so. Uh, they're very yeah no I I they're 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 written with a comedic flair. Yeah, I love to read books like that. You know, I as soon as I was looking through on Amazon and seeing the the covers and even like Law and Disorder the names, like I immediately thought like I have to read this stuff because I think it's going to be in line with with what I like to read. I don't know if you ever read Carl Hyacin. He's from Florida now. Oh, um, no. uh, he's a he's a hilarious. Sat satirical writer primarily covers Florida life. Um, you know, the what's his name? Carl Hyacin H I A A S E N or some okay. variation thereof. Carl Hyacin, and there's another guy called Christopher Moore. So, reading Carl Hyacin got me to want more of that type of reading, which led me to Chris Moore, Christopher Moore. Hilarious, hilarious authors. I like that too. That that's kind of my wheelhouse. And all my, like I said, I, I take no prisoners in my books. I don't name names. I change names, dates, mm. locations, ranks. Because when I got into writing, I said I don't want to get anybody divorced or in right. trouble. Of course. So I don't say, "Hey, Angel Hernandez or Vic <laughs> Ferrari." I just, you know, and but I, I will refer to them in a sarcastic way or give them a nickname like one way Ray was a guy or one way Ray was a guy that only did things for himself when there was a roast beef Ray all he ate was fucking roast beef sandwiches all the time <laughs> so like I give them you know you know identifiers yeah 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 cool man awesome all right brother it's been great chatting with you and uh we'll be in touch man have a good week Angel thank you all right brother take care you are listening to the NYC Talking Podcast www.nyctalking.com. Please like NYC Talking on Facebook. Please follow Angel R. Talk on Twitter and Instagram. We are NYC Talking, the realest lifestyle blog ever. Thanks for listening.